message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. This day, thank you for allowing us to gather together as your people. Thank you for what we're going to see today from the book of Genesis. I pray that um, you'll incline our ears to what Moses has to teach us from this book and what you intended for Moses to teach us. Pray that you be with us during this time, especially in a lot of this uh, previous week's situations and circumstances that came about, all the tragedies that happened in our country throughout this week. Pray you give us uh, sorrowful hearts and also passion for unity. May our unity testify to the finished work of Christ. We thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to start off, I usually don't start off with just a quote, but I'm going to start off with a very small quote, and I'm going to give a background where we are in Genesis and kind of build us back up to where we are now, because it has been a while since we've been in this book. So I want to start us off with this quote. Um, a famous scholar from the uh, 16th century once stated this, Faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. And when we think about faith, we oftentimes we think, uh, you know, Blind faith, you know, you're just putting your trust in something you don't know, and we almost sometimes separate the logical from faith. We make it as if it's just blind faith, that you put your faith in something that's unseen, something you don't research, and that the, the more you get into the, the intellectual side, the farther away you're getting from faith. But I think that's farther from the truth than we see what's in Scripture. Faith is not some blind faith. It's putting your hope and your, and your certainty in the promises of God where He has revealed Himself to us. So it's not an ignorant faith, but it's very much a faith rooted in God's historic works. And as we see, as we come to this passage today, we're going to see a faith that's not far away, not a distant thing that's unthought of. We're going to see how it's very close and how it's not putting our blind faith into something, but it's putting our faith in the warm embrace of Christ, as this theologian once said. If you guys remember back to, and I'm going to give us a little build up right here. If you guys remember back to Genesis 3, God made a promise. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin separated them from God, but also separated them from one another. And then right after that sin took place, God made a promise that one day a seed was going to come from Eve and it's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the result of that was going to bring all of God's people back. And it was also going to restore them back to God. And then from that point on, they've constantly been looking for this seed. They've been longing for this seed to come about. This person who would come and crush the head of the serpent and fix the sin issue. And then Cain and Abel comes about. Well, Cain then kills Abel. And we're wondering, where is this seed of promise going to come? Clearly, it's not going to be Cain. And then God provides another seed, which is Seth. And then the promise and the lineage comes through and follows Seth. And the next person we hear is Noah. And Noah's name literally means the one who's going to provide us relief from the curse on the land. It's as if Lamech, his father, thought he was going to be the promised Messiah. And then from Noah, the next key figure in this lineage is a man named Abraham. And Abraham has given all the promises. God had been telling them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. The goal was for the whole earth to be filled with God's glory. 
And this promised seed one day was going to accomplish this. He's going to fill God's earth with God's glory. And yet Abraham and Sarah were growing in age. They're very old. And this child had not come. Was God going to be faithful to all these promises He made beforehand? Or was God going to forget these? Was God going to be faithful? That was the issue. And if you guys remember back, in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are in their tent and they both are doubting because they're growing in age and they don't have a child yet. They're growing in doubt and fear. Abraham laughs when he hears that he's going to have a child. He doesn't believe the Lord and he repents and then trusts the Lord. And then three angels come to him. Three men who are angels. And then when he sees them, he bows before them. He welcomes them in his home and then they go and confront Sarah and they remind her of this promise. Take courage. Be encouraged. Remember God made this promise. He is good for His Word. And what happens then? Sarah laughs. And then God confronts her. He says, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't. He says, yes, you did. And then Sarah cries and repents. And she trusts the Lord. This story is very significant as we come into this story today. As we come into Genesis 19, these are going to show us the power of faith. These are going to show us the power of this story. Let's go down to verse 19. I mean verse 1, sorry. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting there in the gate at Sodom. Doesn't this story sound very eerily like the story of Abraham? He's sitting at the entrance of the gate. Three angels come to remind him of the promises of God. He welcomes them into his home. He feeds them. He bows before them. Now this story starts off the exact same way. Lot, he is in the city of Sodom. They come, angels come to his house. Let's see what Lot does. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, No, we will not spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside and entered the house. And he made them a feast and baked leavened bread and they eat. And they ate. This is almost an identical story. Why would Moses bring up this story and have all the same details as the story of Abraham? What's the significance? Why are these paralleling one another? They both met these angels at the entrance of the gate. They both invited them into their home. They both bowed before them. They both made a meal for them. They both showed hospitality to them. Is Lot going to be righteous like Abraham and Sarah who laughed at the Lord and then repented and trusted His Word? Is Lot going to trust the Word of the Lord? What does he do? He brings them in his house. He shows them hospitality. You can't read a passage like this and not think about Hebrews 13 where it says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. What is Lot doing? He's acting like a righteous man. He's bringing them into his home. 
He's showing hospitality. He is loving them. It seems everything from this story that Lot is being like Abraham. He is acting righteously. The stories almost seem as if they are matching all the way point for point. And I think what Moses is going to try to show us from this story is not their similarities, but where they differ. If you remember, guys, this is a, an, an oratory culture. Most of these people do not read. So everything they know when they hear these, they start hearing these parallels. They start drawing their minds back and forth between these two stories. And they hear the difference between the two. They hear how they both respond. So let's see how the city responds in this as opposed to the way Abraham's story resulted. Verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people of the earth, to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. This phrase literally means to sleep with them, to have relations with them. They literally want to rape these men. Why do I bring up this gross, grotesque act here? Notice how sin is filling up Sodom. And as we get into this story, we're going to hear the fact that God hears about the great sin. Abraham's story is they act righteously. They hear the word of the Lord and they repent and turn to the Lord. Now we come to the city of Sodom and how do they respond? They degrade people. They don't see the value of people. They, they treat marriage as something that's not of significance. These people are an object of their pleasure to them. They degrade the value of life. Why is this important? As we come to this week, as we've been, past, or been through this week, this past week, we've heard about police officers shot. We've heard about African Americans shot. And even past, even more significant than this week, overall we can t constantly hear of these great tragedies where life is considered of no significance. No matter what the race may be. No matter what the gender may be. We are sex trafficking stings in Knoxville. People are not valuing life. They're not valuing marriage. The narrative of Scripture shows us that all people, young, old, little money, great money, are of significant value to God. No matter what the race is. The reason that is the case is because we're all created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we all agree on everything. It doesn't mean that they may be wrong theologically doesn't mean that we have to endorse everything everyone says. But every single person is created in the image of God. That gives them value. If you're wondering whether God loves you, you are in the image of God. That gives you significance. That is why you should repent and turn to Him. It gives you value. You're valuable because God has made you that way. You're significant because God has declared you're significant by creating you in His image. 
Angels were not created in the image of God. We are the culmination of all creation because we reflect and declare that glory. Only when sin enters in the world does it separate and divide us. Just as Adam and Eve sinned, it separated and divided them. They hid from one another and they blamed one another. The very next chapter, sin escalates and Cain kills his brother. By the time we come to Noah, which is only a few chapters later, sin has filled the entire earth. Sin has no regard for human life. Sin has no regard for marital relations. It sees people as acts and objects of pleasure rather than their intended purpose. So when we hear about these tragedies in our society, may we be who God has called us to be. And declare the fact that we are all created in the image of God. We're called to be unified. How sin, had, uh, Christ has come and defeated sin is bringing us back together. The church is then called to be one because God is one. We're not to be a people who are segregated, separated by race or class. We're called to be a people who are united by the gospel. So when people try to make this into different races or different classes, let's just be a people who mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Let's fight racism together. Let's fight classism together. Let's show them that God has created us in such a way and God has brought us together and shows us that through Christ and through the Gospel, our church is declaring the fact that God is one, therefore we are to be one. Let's value life and not be like the people of Sodom. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So Lot tries to act righteously by inviting these men into the house, and then all the city of Sodom comes and tries to take them over. What is Lot left with? He has two options. He has to give up his daughters. If he gives himself up, He's not protecting his daughters or the men in his house. They've come under his protection. And he saw that these men were men from the Lord. So what does he do? He offers the purity of his daughters. He's left with the least of two evils. And he seems to think that these angels are worth saving. And that his daughter's purity is not. He is sinning according to Deuteronomy 22. He is left with no fateful option. What happens? But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. And he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. 
But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For you're about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son but he seemed to his son-in-laws only to be jesting. If you guys remember back to the story of Abraham and Sarah as we gave that introduction this morning. Abraham laughs at the Lord. He then repents and trusts the Lord. Sarah laughs at the Lord and says, I didn't laugh. The Lord confronts her and says, yes, you did. And then she repents and trusts the Lord. Now, Lot's son-in-laws hear God has commanded them to leave, and what do they do? They laugh. They jest. They don't trust the Lord. Makes me think of Psalm 2, where it says, Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in your way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. It's those who submit to the Word of the Lord. It is those His hand is upon. Everyone else will perish. Judgment is certain for them. Trust the Word of the Lord even when everything tells you otherwise. They laugh at the Lord. Sarah laughed and she repents and is saved. These children laugh at the Word of the Lord and what happens? They are judged and they perish. Take refuge in God's Word. Bow the knee before God's Word. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out of the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I cannot do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar, which is little city. The sun had risen on the earth 
when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord, from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities in the valley in the valley and the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. And Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Speaking of the story, I'm going to read a small section here from Luke. Jesus is talking about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and it relates to this section. This is what Luke says. Jesus' words written from Luke. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. What's the story? What's the application of this section with Lot's wife turning around. The word of the Lord told them not to turn back. To put their faith and hope in the Lord. Keep your eyes on the prize. If you give up your life for the sake of Christ, you will gain it. But all those who invest in their life, who build up their kingdom here, blindly not paying attention to the kingdom of God, will lose everything. Don't be like Lot's wife. Set your heart and your mind and your eyes on the kingdom of God. And you'll get earth thrown in. Keep your eyes and don't turn back. Invest in the kingdom of God. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land in the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So that it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley and remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of his midst to overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Notice here that it says God remembered his promise to Abraham. Why is Lot saved? Is it because he's righteous? He certainly acted righteously for a section. Then he gave up his wife's purity. He was saved because God remembered His promise to Abraham. It wasn't as if God forgot the promise and then remembered here. This is the same phrase that was used with Noah when Noah is out on the boat and God has destroyed the whole earth. He remembers His covenant. He remembers His promise. He brings it to the forefront of the story. Now Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. And so he lived in a cave with his two young daughters. And his firstborn said to the younger, 
Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve our offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you may go up and lie with him. You may preserve your offspring from our father. So they made the father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lie with him, and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn born a son named Moab, the father of the Moabites, to this day. And the younger bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and his father of the Amorites to this day. If you remember back when we first heard about Lot, only a small section before this, God had promised Abraham the nations. He had promised him a land, the land of Canaan. Then Abraham, trusting the Lord, what does he do? Lot, there's not enough space for both of them, so Abraham says, pick whatever site of Canaan that you want. You can have that. And Lot picks the section based on sight. Rather than trusting the Lord, rather than putting his faith in the Lord, he chooses based on sight, not on faith. And he chooses the city of Sodom. And they've been looking for this promised seed. Keep that in mind as well. Abraham puts his faith in the Lord because God had already told him all of Canaan was going to be his. What happens with Lot? Rather than trusting the Lord, he now has no land. He chose based on sight and he lost everything. Now his only seed is seed from incest. He has no seed. The promised seed is not going to come from him. Just like the story of Noah, Noah gets intoxicated because of his children and, does, and they do something to him. And then Noah wakes the next morning and what's he do? He curses Ham. Curses are placed upon him. Adam falls by the fruit of the vine. Curses are placed upon him. Noah falls by the fruit of the vine. Curses are placed upon him. Lot. The same story takes place again. Where are the curses? Where... Do we see the curses in this story? We don't see it in this section. But we see it in Deuteronomy 23 when it says, No Amorite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even until the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. You see why these stories are all paralleling? God had promised a land, he promised a seed, and he promised to be with them. Lot chose the world in sight rather than putting his faith in the word of the Lord, and he lost everything. 
Abraham trusts the Lord. At times he shows us his weaknesses and he repents and trusts the Lord. And he will inherit Canaan. He will inherit the land. He will have a seed. He will have God's presence with him. But even though Lot, even though we see a great story of sin, and we see a testimony of how he did not trust the Lord throughout his entire life, and we see wickedness from this, it's not the end of the story. What do we know about the Moabites? What do we know about his children? This is not the end of their significance in history. No Moabite may ever enter into the assembly of the Lord. They can't enter into the temple. They're forced outside of the temple. They're considered an unclean people because of their sin. But later on in Scripture, we're going to come to a woman named Ruth, who's a Moabite. And she is going to be faithful. She's going to trust the Lord. She's going to follow Him in all of her ways. And it's going to be through Ruth that a certain man comes along. When you come to Genesis, or when you come to Matthew 1, we're going to hear about the lineage of the son of David and the son of Abraham. And now we're going to hear about this Moabite woman, Ruth, once again. And because of her faithfulness, it is not the end of the story for the Moabites. If you are living in sin, that is not the end of your story. Repent and turn to the Lord. You may have a lineage before you of unfaithful men and women. But if you repent and trust the Lord, it can change everything. From the lineage of Ruth, this Moabite woman is going to be a man who is going to be cursed. Cursed is any Moabite that cannot enter into the assembly of the Lord. Christ becomes a curse for us. We deserve the wrath of God because we are all great sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We are under His curse. We are just like the Moabites. But, that is not the end of our story. Christ has come and become a curse for us. Our sins are placed upon Him. His righteousness then becomes our righteousness if you repent and put your faith in the Lord. That's how your story changes. That's how your lineage changes. It's not a blind faith. It's putting your faith in the finished work of Christ. We deserve the wrath and the curse, but He became that curse for us. And all you have to do is repent and put your trust in Him. Heed His words. Don't be like the people of Sodom. Heed His words. Don't turn back like Lot's wife. Trust in the Word of God. Bank on it. Invest your life in it. Devote yourself to knowing it. Because it all declares Christ and His glory. It is Him who this chapter is about. 
It is Him who this chapter looks to. I'm going to ask Ben to come up. And they're going to play a song. And I want to have this time as a time of response. Repent and trust the Lord if you have not. Find your hope in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage today. Thank You for showing us how it leads us to the cross. May we treasure Christ more because of this. May we be a people who read through the lens of the finished work of Your Son. We thank You for Jesus. Christ, name we pray. Amen.